Ladies and gentlemen, ghouls, goblins, witches, and devils, welcome to the Unhappy Cyclops. I am one of your hosts, Go, and alongside the Iceman tonight we will walk with you in darkness. Gather your wits and pray to the heavens, but do not falter now. Rejoice, for this is unsolved. Our first story tonight is brought to you by the Iceman. Get your movie tickets ready and enjoy. Black-eyed children, or black-eyed kids, also known as BEKs, are an American contemporary legend of paranormal creatures that resemble children between the ages of 6 and 16 with pale skin and black eyes, who are reportedly seen hitchhiking or panhandling or encountered on doorsteps of residential homes. While tabloid coverage of these creatures has claimed the tales of black-eyed children have existed since the 1980s, most sources indicate that the legend originated in 1996 postings written by Texas reporter Brian Bethel on a ghost-related mailing list. Relating two alleged encounters with black-eyed kids, Bethel describes encountering two such children in Abilene, Texas in 1996. His story was written as a first-person encounter, which made it difficult for readers to separate fact from fiction. The legend transcended into an internet age and became one of the most popular creepypasta stories to date. In 2012, Brian Bethel told his story on reality TV series Monsters and Mysteries in America. He wrote a follow-up article for the Abilene Reporter News describing his experience and maintaining his belief that it was legitimate. Now, ladies and gentlemen, from the archives of Creepypasta, I have Brian Bethel's story here for you tonight. My internet service provider used to have offices in a shopping center before they moved to their lush accommodations elsewhere. There was a drop box at the original location. The monthly bill was due. It was about 9.30 p.m. when I left. From my relatively isolated apartments, it's about 10 to 15 minutes or so to downtown. Right next to Camelot Communications' old location, is a dollar and fifty cent movie theater. At the time, the place was featuring the masterwork of modern film, Mortal Kombat. I pulled into the theater and into an empty parking space. Using the glow marquee to write out my check, I was startled to hear a knock on the driver's side window of my car. I looked over and saw two children staring at me from the street. Both appeared to be in that semi-mystical age of children to get into where you can't exactly tell their age. Both boys and my initial impression is that they were somewhere between the ages of 10 and 14. Boy number one was the spokesman. Boy number two didn't speak during the entire conversation at least not in words. Boy number one, slightly taller than his companion, wearing a pullover hooded shirt 
with a sort of gray checkered pattern in jeans. I couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive colored and had curly medium length brown hair. He exuded an air of quiet confidence. Boy number two had pale skin with a trace of freckles. His primary characteristic seemed to be looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion, but his pullover was a light green color. His hair was short, of pale orange. They didn't appear to be related, at least not directly. Oh great, I thought. They're gonna hit me up for money. And then, the air changed. I've explained this before, but for the benefit of my new lurkers out there, right before I experience something strange, there's a change in perception that comes about which I describe in the above manner. It's basically enough time to know it's too late. So there I was, filling out a check in my car, which was still running, and in a sudden panic over the appearance of two little boys, I was confused but an overwhelming sense of fear and unearthliness rushed in nonetheless. The spokesman smiled, and the sight, for some inexplicable reason, chilled my blood. I could feel fight-or-flight responses kicking in, something I knew instinctually was not right, but I didn't know what it could possibly be. I rolled down the window very, very slightly and asked, Yes? The spokesman smiled again, broader this time. His teeth were very, very white. Hey, mister, we have a problem, he said. His voice was of that a young man, but his diction, quiet, calm, and something I couldn't put my finger on, made my desire to flee even greater. We want to see a film but we forgot our money. Can you give us a ride home to get it? Okay, journalists are required to talk a lot of people, and that includes children. I've seen and spoken to lots of them. This kid was in no way fitting the mold. His command of language was incredible, and he showed no sign of fear. He spoke as if my help was a foregone conclusion. When he grinned, it was as if he was trying to say, I know something and you're not gonna like it. Um, well, was the best reply I could offer. Now here is where it gets strange. The quiet companion looked at the spokesman with a mixture of confusion and guilt on his face. He seemed in some ways shocked. Not with his friend's brusque manner, but that I didn't just immediately open the door. He eyed me nervously. The spokesman seemed a bit perturbed, too. I still was registering something wrong with both. Come on, mister, the spokesman said again, smooth as silk. Car salesmen could learn something from this kid. We just need a ride, and we're just two little boys. That really scared me. Something in the tone and diction again sent off alarm bells. My mind was frantically trying to process what it was perceiving about these two figures. That was wrong. 
It, um, was all I could manage. I felt myself digging my fingernails into the steering wheel. What movie were you going to see? I asked finally. Mortal Kombat, the spokesman said. The silent one nodded in affirmation, standing a few paces behind. Oh, I said. I stole a quick glance at the marquee and the clock in my car. Mortal Kombat had been playing for an hour. The last showing of the evening. The silent one looked increasingly nervous. I think he saw my glances and suspected I might be detecting something that was not above board. Come on, mister, let us in. We can't get in your car until you do, the spokesman said soothingly. Just let us in. We locked eyes. To my horror, I realized my hand had strayed toward the door, which was engaged and was in the process of opening it. I pulled it away, probably a bit too violently, but it forced me to look away from the children. I turned back, er, uh, um, I offered weakly, and then my mind snapped into sharp focus. For the first time, I noticed their eyes. They were coal black. No pupil, nor iris, just two staring orbs reflecting the red and white light of the marquee. At that point, I know my expression betrayed me. The silent one had a look of horror on his face in a combination that seemed to indicate A. The impossible had just happened, and B. We've been found out. The spokesman, on the other hand, wore a mask of anger. His eyes glittered brightly in the half-light. Come on, mister, he said. We won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. That last statement scared the living hell out of me. Because at that point, by his tone, he was plainly saying, We don't need a gun. He noticed my hand shooting down toward a gear shift. The spokesman's final words contained an anger that was complete and whole, and yet contained in some respects a tone of panic. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I ripped the car into reverse. Thank goodness no one was coming up behind me and tore out of the parking lot. I noticed the boys in my peripheral vision and stole a quick glance back. They were gone. The sidewalk by the theater was deserted. I drove home in a heightened state of panic. Had anyone attempted to stop me, I would have run on through and faced the consequences later. I bolted into my house, scanning all around, including the sky. What did I see? Maybe nothing more than some kids looking for a ride. And some really funky contacts? Yeah, right.
Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Our next story tonight looks to the stars. Is there anybody out there? Brought to you by this humble host. When it's all gone, I will miss you most. The Quiet Sky by Ryan Brenneman It started when we called out to the stars into the darkness. We felt so small, tumbling through vast emptiness while clinging to the skin of the world and without a single reason why. We were curious, yes, but ultimately, I think we were just terribly frightened and we were young, so very young. We were children, and like a lonely, lost child, we did the only thing we could think of to make it stop. We did what we thought we had to do to make the universe make sense. We called for help. For years we scanned the sky for a sign. We sent signals to the stars in the darkness beyond. Are we alone? But the skies were quiet always so quiet, leaving us to our own makings. But crying children never cease, and neither did we. We sent calls into every corner of space for decade after decade. We refused to believe no one was out there. They had to be. Yet, for some unknown reason, they never answered us. Everyone remembers when that changed. They think it responded to the Arecibo message from 1974. The response to said message was received almost three months ago, in two separate parts. The first part of the message was received at the Hat Creek Radio Observatory in California. The Allen Telescope Array picked up what sounded like static interference that continued on for over an hour. It consisted of unintelligible screeching and buzzing sounds that continued without pause for the whole hour. The meaning of this message was never discovered, if it had one. The only thing we knew was that the signal's origin came somewhere in the Hercules constellation, near Messier 13. As soon as the signal stopped, the real message began. We made contact that day, and we were asked a question. came not through the radios, but as a voice. A voice inside all of our heads asked the question to all of us. I heard it, my wife heard it, the young heard it, and the old heard it. Even the deaf heard it. Everyone, everywhere, heard this voice whisper that question in their heads in every language on earth. I remember it almost too clearly. It asked in that familiar yet indescribable voice that's always there in my mind. It was like one of my own thoughts had gone rogue and had decided to speak directly to me. The world seemed to stop as everyone listened for what came next. The heavy questions seemed to linger in our minds for hours afterwards and then for days, and then for weeks. That day changed everything. There were the doubters from the very beginning, 
and the holy ones who claim that God has spoken to all of us and that the time to repent was now. There were those who claimed they'd heard nothing, and those who claimed that the aliens had given them their own secret messages. And of course, there were those who truly believed that we had been contacted for the first time by an extraterrestrial race like us, one ready to communicate, ready to lead us out of the dark. We were wrong. We never made contact with alien life, at least nothing comprehensible or discernible to human understanding. The stars are vast, and in their vastness our voices had touched the ears of something truly incomprehensible, something hungry and malevolent, the voice. We realized our mistake when the ground started to groan. Beneath our feet, everywhere, the ground seemed to moan. The muffled sound shook through the dust and dirt below us. No one knew what was causing it, at least. Not until the calls started coming in. The graveyards were screaming. All at once, the dead had started screaming. Every deceased man, woman, and child was turning in their graves. All the animals did so too. Every dog, every cat, everything that had ever walked this earth. The cries of ancient whales shook the seas, and the shrill screeching of birds echoed in the forests. The caskets shook, and the moors howled. The voices stopped together, in an instant leaving the world in an amplified silence. In their absence, a new sound filled the air. The voice returned. came as a whisper from behind, an ominous yet oddly playful presence that felt so close but was truly still so far away. It let us breathe in the silence for a minute before it made us a promise. It was a promise we all knew to be true. was gone and the air was again filled with screams. This time they were from the living. After the voice had gone we were left to our own devices. Millions panicked and rightfully so as chaos took hold of the streets. Many would die in the violence and the gunfire of that night. They would be known as a rapture before long and the rest of us were the condemned. We could only wait. The screaming dead was only the first of the side effects that we felt as the voice approached. The closer it got, the more we felt it. That first night, after the screaming, we noticed the stars bleed for the first time. A section of the western sky had turned black, blacker than the night. It was only truly visible because of the ring of stars around it. The lights from those stars had turned red, and they seemed to bleed across the sky like food coloring dropped into water. Their light swirled and flowed all around the edge of some unseen mass. I knew then that I was staring into the face of the voice. Our scientists claimed that nothing was there and that their radar and scans always came up empty. Their telescopes could see nothing but darkness in that section of space. However, the proof was right in front of us as every night that ring of darkness got wider and more stars bled in the sky. We watched it come. As each night passed, the black spot would widen, and more stars would distort and bleed around it. During the day, a new hell would greet us, 
The side effects worsened. The day always brought something new. I'm sure most of what happened will go untold and unknown. The animals started disappearing. All of them. No tracks, traces, or bodies were left behind. Pets would run away, some violently so. They all retreated, never to be seen again. The forests were left abandoned, the oceans empty, the air was left silent. The world left seemed empty and lonely. They left like water receding from the shore just before the tsunami breaks. One day, about two weeks ago, scientists tried to talk to the voice again. They hoped, perhaps, to reason with it. They told it about what was happening on our world and asked it questions. The scientists begged. It didn't speak. The next night the skies lit up with streaks of fire. It was a light for hours, blazing with orange and red. We didn't realize the effects until the next day when the televisions turned to static and the telephones refused to work. We had sat, watching, as all the satellites were knocked out of the heavens. After that, reports became rumors and rumblings, sanity a thing of the past. The air chilled and weighed us down. The voice was nearly here, and everyone felt it. It rained for a week after the satellites fell. The rain was salty and mired with an unknown filth that turned the grass black. Maybe the satellites tracked something back in with them when they hit the sky. No one knew for sure. All we know is that it fell from clouds black as charcoal that blotted out the sun like liquid ash. Darkness fell upon us for days. When the clouds went away, the skies were empty. There were no clouds, yet the sky hung low and gray. If the sun was anywhere in the sky, it never made itself known. Even it had abandoned us. Each day grew slowly darker and darker until night and day became almost the same. Some people would claim later that they'd seen things in the dark, creatures with gangly limbs and crooked faces, lurking in the corner of their vision. They were tall, white creatures that looked molted or rotten through their transparent skin. Appearances would last for just a second or two before vanishing without a trace. Some believed this was the first step in the aliens' invasion, but the rest of us didn't know what to think. We just knew that it was nothing that simple or benign. They must have been hallucinations, just more madness to endure, but ultimately as harmless as anything else, as harmless as the screams of the dead, the missing animals, and the dying sky. Appearances slowly increased in duration and number. I think everyone saw them once at the least, but I don't think a single person would ever guess why they were truly here. They never touched nor spoke to anyone, and they certainly never harmed anyone. Most who got good looks at them described them as mournful or sorrowful looking. Some even claimed that creatures watch over them at night, and others even claimed that it seemed as if the creatures were sorry for them. One claimed to even have seen one prostrate upon the ground, hands clasped above its head. He said it was praying for us. Prayer was no help. The churches and places of worship that had divided us for so long failed to bring hope to any in the end. The voice let them pray and beg for a while, but just days ago the voice ended it all. No one questioned how, for at this point nothing that happened surprised anyone anymore, but on the final day all books of worship burned. Every last Bible, every Quran, everything. People rushed to their centers of faith, but found no solace. 
The churches and temples had suffered the same fates, if not worse. The people were left abandoned by their greatest hopes. There were rumors of churches all over the world with walls formed from the bodies of those who sought refuge. They were merged to the walls, stuck to them like flies in a trap. They died, still pleading for hope, but they were beyond God's help. The rest of us had learned to stop begging. We waited. The final message came. From beyond the sky it fell upon us. The voice echoed, and it spoke the simple truth. There is a darkness beyond the horizon, the likes of which I doubt has ever been seen. It brings with it the screams of countless souls, and it moves fast. The stars are dying now, and I know they'll never be seen again. The light is dying so fast. I leave this not as a warning. No, it's far too late for that. Instead, consider this the last realization, the last humanity will ever know. For we used to wonder whether or not we were alone and lost, but never whether or not we were safe and hidden. The universe is infinite, and our understanding was significantly more finite. We should never have beckoned to the darkness. Instead, we should have clung to the light and closed our eyes every time we were turned to the void. As the final minutes approach, I hold one final truth to be certain. We now know why the skies were always so quiet. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Our third and final story will be delivered cold right to your doorstep by the Iceman. I have one more story for you guys. This specific encounter happened on Halloween. You can find this source on Thought Catalog. It was submitted by user SarahBeth11. Now remember, these are all terrifying encounters that people have had. They've written in and submitted them so they can tell their story to other people so everyone can become aware of these BEKs. Now without further ado, let's begin. Let me preface this by saying I'm by no means a writer, just a domestic engineer living in North Texas. Also I don't believe in the paranormal, ghosts, demons, aliens, whatever. However, I did have an event happen to me this Halloween, I have to admit, has me scratching my head. I told my friend about my incident, she's an avid reader of No Sleep, and she told me if I didn't post it, she would. So here I am. So it had been a slow trick-or-treat night in our neighborhood that evening, which is pretty odd in itself. We usually have kids from different areas dropped off in ours and have a constant parade at our door. That night I'd say we had no more than 8 or 10 groups of kids come by the entire night. It was about 9.30pm 
and my husband and I were sitting in our family room watching some of those ghost shows based on supposedly actual events. Like I said, I don't believe in that stuff, but I do like a good ghost story. And then, it is Halloween and all. We hadn't had any activity at our door in over half an hour, and it was getting late. So we decided to turn the porch light off and let our dog Chloe out of her crate. Chloe's an American bulldog and is very docile. We only put her in her crate because we were afraid she'd try and get out and play with all the kids. And I didn't want to have to chase her, you know, down the street. Also, we didn't want her to scare any of the kids because she would look a little intimidating to the younger kids. So I turned the outside light off and let Chloe out of her crate. She followed me back to the couch and laid down by my feet. It was getting close to 10 p.m. when my husband decided that he had enough fun for the night and was going upstairs to take a shower and get ready for bed. After all, it was Thursday and he still had to get up early the next day. My teenage son was out with his friends at a local haunted house and wasn't expected back for another hour or so. So that left me alone on the couch with Chloe. Now, just because I don't believe doesn't mean those shows don't freak me out a bit. And being alone now watching, I'd say I was kind of on edge, as it were. It wasn't long after I heard the upstairs water for the shower turn on, when there came a light knock at the front door. My initial reaction was, what the hell, really? It's almost 10 o'clock, go home. But soon, an uneasy feeling came over me. Why the knock? Our doorbell glows, and in the dark without the porch light, it would be extra obvious to anyone there. I paused. I couldn't really just ignore it. Our front door has a big beveled glass panel, and anybody right out the door could see in enough to see that someone's in a family room watching TV. It would be pretty rude of me to just sit there and not answer it. Another light knock from the door again. I glanced down at Chloe and she was gone. My gaze followed her usual path to the front door, expecting her to be on her way there as she normally does. Nothing. She wasn't there. I stood up to look around the room better and found her, crouching by the back door like she was wanting out. However, she never asked to go out like that. She always comes up and licks my hand or puts her head on my knee. This was totally out of character for her. And I have to say, that heightened my anxiety. Chloe, crate, I said. She just turned back to look at me and said, Hell no, lady, I ain't moving. I yelled up to my husband, but if he was already in the shower, there was no chance of him hearing me. About that time, a car drove down the street and cast just enough light on the door to where I could see the silhouettes of two small children through the glass. I instantly felt relief. It was just some kids, probably a couple of neighbors on their way back home and wanted to stop by and show me their costume or something. I headed to the door and looked back to make sure Chloe wasn't going to follow. What a great watchdog, I thought to myself as she just sat there. I turned on the porch light when I got to the door, 
And sure enough, I could see through the glass that it was a couple of pretty small kids. A little late for some young ones, I thought, and I began to wonder about what kind of parents will let their kids run in the streets that late at night. I only opened the door enough to where I could block Chloe's escape if she decided to grow some balls, which was only about two feet. What struck me immediately as odd was these kids weren't wearing any costumes. They were in normal street clothes. Also, no customary trick-or-treat either. I began to feel very uneasy again. It was a girl and boy. The girl to my left was older. I'd say about 11 or 12. I could tell she was blonde, but I couldn't make out any distinct features as our lights are from high above at the front of the porch so most of the light was coming from behind them. I had not opened the door wide enough for any of the light from the inside to hit them directly. The boy was younger and about a foot shorter, I'd say eight or nine, and looked to have light brown hair. The girl very politely spoke up. Ma'am, can we please come inside and use your phone to call our mom? As she spoke, something in the pit of my stomach was telling me something was wrong. What kid, even at this age, doesn't have a cell phone on them these days? I couldn't remember the last time I'd had anybody ask to use my home phone. Um, hon, don't you have a phone of your own you can call your mom on? I asked. This is when things got weird. Both kids turned to look at one another like they were going to say something to one another, but neither ever spoke. They both turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left in it. Can we please come inside and call our mother? We're alone out here and my brother is scared. I have to admit, there were two competing feelings going on inside me. The first, that of a mother's heart that wanted to help these two kids to get to their mom. The other, a sinking fear in my gut that was keeping the other feeling at bay. It was then I noticed that during the short conversation, I had already opened the door a few extra inches, which I was completely unaware of doing. I stopped. Honey, why don't you give me your mother's number and I can call her myself? Another pause. And they again looked at one another. After a short moment, they turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my little brother has to use your bathroom. Can we please come inside while you call our mom? And with that last statement, the little girl moved closer toward the door, like she was going to walk in on me. As she did, she stepped into the light coming from inside the house, and I got my first real good look at her. Solid jet black eyes. That's all I could see. That motherly instinct was gone and replaced by terror I don't think I've ever felt in my life. I could feel every hair on my arm and my back of my neck standing at attention. I closed the door to where just my face was able to stick out. The little girl stopped and again pleaded, Please, ma'am, we're really scared and alone out here. We have to come inside. Please help us. 
Then, like on cue, both kids began to whimper and cry. That's when the fear took over and I shut and locked the door. I'll call your mom if you give me the number, I shouted through the door. But I'm not letting you in my house. I could still see them standing there on the porch, just staring at me through the bevel glass pane. Part of me wanted to run upstairs to my husband, but the bigger part didn't want to lose track of where they were. That would have freaked me out even more not to know where they were. After what seemed like forever, but probably only a few seconds, I decided I would call my neighbor that lives across the street. As I made my way to the side table by our couch to my phone, I glanced at the back door. Chloe was nowhere to be found. We later found her in the guest room under the bed. When I got my phone and started to look up his contact info, it was only then the kid stepped away from the door and began to walk down the street. As they did, I walked to the door to get a better look to see where they went, still not calling my neighbor. If you get close enough to the glass, you can see out enough to make out people's shapes, but you can see much detail. Of course, standing that close to the door would make you pretty obvious to anyone outside looking in. From the door, I could see the kids were still standing under the street lamp nearest my house staring at me. As I lifted the phone to my ear after calling, only then the kids start to walk down the street. I met my neighbor out under the street lamp once he was out there, but the kids were nowhere to be seen. Like I said, I don't believe in any of this stuff, and I've never even heard of black-eyed kids before talking to my friend. What I really think? What I have to think? is these kids were just yanking people's chains on Halloween night. But I will say this for them. They were good. Really good at it. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so the night is over, the candles are not lit, the dread of ghouls and terror will follow you to sleep. And don't forget to check us out at Unhappy Cyclops.